You're listening to the Dating Diaries podcast with your host, Gemma Joel. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode six. I'm Gem, a health coach and a registered nutritionist with a passion for all things love and relationships. On today's episode, I'm joined by CBT therapist Ioana Rotaru to expand on my previous episode and delve deeper into the world of attachment styles and how these can impact on our romantic relationships. If you need some help understanding why you behave in certain ways when you're dating and how you can manage this, then this is the episode for you. I hope you enjoy and that you can take some nuggets of wisdom from this chat. Hi, Joanna. Thank you so much for joining me on this podcast episode today. How are you? Hey, thank you for inviting me. I'm so excited to be here. I'm very excited for you to be here. I know that you're like an expert on anything that comes to do with therapy and especially with everything that I've been seeing recently on your Instagram with regards to attachment and attachment style. I just thought that you would be one of the best people to speak to about this and for the listeners to really gain more of an understanding about their attachment style and how they can manage this. I do have a massive interest in understanding people's traumas and how they sh- how those traumas you know shape their beliefs and how they're impacting their relationships, how they're acting, the dynamics in the relationships. Um, so that's really at the heart of what I do. And um, yeah, I try to share as much as I can on my Instagram page. Um, so yeah, I'm glad that you found it helpful. Uh, and hopefully your listeners will find it helpful too. And that that's what it is, isn't it? Like people listening to this podcast and people in general, they want something that they can take away that's going to be mm-hmm. quick and easy and relatable to them, which is why in my previous episode, um, it was more of an introduction to attachment styles because there's it can get a bit confusing, I'll be honest. Yeah. I was like brushing up on my like obviously I've got my degree in psychology. I studied this a very long time ago. I've got such a passion for love and relationships, but when it comes to attachments and attachment styles, there's a lot of lingo. There's a lot of wording. And I was going, oh my God, so you've got a secure attachment. You've got dismissive attachment. Mm -hmm. Like what do they even mean? And are they all interlinked in some sort of way? Because when I did my um, attachment quiz, I came back and I was a little bit of all of them. So I thought, okay, well, what does yeah. even mean? Like, how can I relate this back to myself and what do I do to, to change this to become more secure attached? So I guess my first question for you is, what would you define as the main distinctions between the three insecure attachments? Oh, that's such a good question. Um, can I just make, uh, based on the points that you were making earlier, you know, one of the things that is very common, that, and it's also very unlikely that when you do one of the attachment quizzes or wherever you find it on the internet, like there's loads of websites that put it out, but wherever you find it, it's very unlikely that you will only get one. <laughs> like we're all a mixture of all four. So like even when I do mine, like my predominant one is dismissive avoidant, but then I've got a secure trait, I've got fearful avoidant, I've got um, anxious, well actually that's the only one I don't have, the anxious preoccupied, I, I usually score like a zero. Or like yeah, You're the opposite of me. Oh. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, well, you know, opposites attract sometimes. Um, so I guess um, it's also really important to normalize them. Um, you know, you are a mixture of, of all of them and your attachment style is helpful in helping you understand how you show up in relationships and what relationships look like for you, but they don't define you completely. Like you're a lot more 
than your attachment styles. They're more like survival strategies. Like if, for example, it's a dismissive avoidant. Usually if you're, if you're raised by a parent that didn't care about your emotions, didn't really pay attention to your emotional experience, your emotional world, then um, likely for self-protection, you have developed you know, self-soothing, you can self-soothe on your own. You're more independent, you're more able to, um, you know, handle things on your own, take things on your own. Like that's that self-protection, that's a survival mechanism. And the same with um, anxious attachment, you know, like there are strengths in it. We shouldn't, you know, just because we call it insecure or it doesn't mean there's anything kind of bad or flawed about it. There, there is truth that your attachment style will have an impact on your relationships and the dynamics in your relationship, like no doubt about it. But, you know, there's just one aspect or just one uh, perspective that we can take on understanding relationships. There's, there's other perspectives. There's, there's more to us than just our attachment style. How, how much of an impact do you think they play on the success of a relationship? So we all have an attachment style, regardless of whether you're aware of it or not. Um, and I think that that's also the point that if you're not aware of it, if you're not aware that you might have stronger tendencies in the insecure style, so anxious, avoidant, or, or, or disorganized, fearful avoidant, if you you know you enter your relationships with those dynamics, with those kind of unhealed traumas, um, um, un, you know patterns about your behaviors and thinking that you don't really understand it will often lead to conflict and often those relationships will be short-lived or they, they might be um, you know longer-term relationships but they won't be fulfilling relationships they won't feel happy they won't feel it they'll be um they'll have a lot of conflict but it's because we don't really understand what's going on for us we don't really understand how our attachment styles affect the relationship how they affect the dynamic so once we you know once we start learning about it once we start reading and uh, you know, educating ourselves about, okay, this is my attachment style. Like uh, for me, I, I have strong dismissive avoidant tendencies. What does that mean for me? What does it mean in terms of how do I show up in relationships? And once I understand what role I play in the dynamic, then I can think about, okay, what can I do to change? What can I change in the way I behave in the relationship? Or what can I do to change in the way I think about the relationship or the way I handle emotions about the relationship? So yeah, education is key and understanding yeah. is really key. No, it's so true. Education is key. And I think the whole reason that I started this podcast was because I wanted this to be an educational platform for people who wanted to improve their romantic relationships. Because mm. I guarantee, unless someone has got a background in psychology or therapy, mm-hmm. has an interest in this stuff, they're not gonna have a clue about attachment styles why would they need to know about attachment styles? You know, if they, they could be dismissive avoidant their entire lives and have absolutely mm-hmm. no idea. They could have had this, you know, traumatic childhood that they've carried with them throughout their lives with their friendships and their romantic relationships. And then they get to that age of God, you like 40, 50, 60. And they're always going, why is it always failing? Why is it failing? And then for me, I sit back and I go, I wish that this sort of, platform and this sort of education was around us more so that people mm. really understand how to improve their relationships without needing to pay for therapy or having to put money out there or really like search hard to be able to find it you know 
And you know, similarly to you, that, that's what drives me as well, because one of the biggest myths that we have about relationships is that people feel like, oh yeah, you know, if my partner is my soulmate, things will just work out or like things will be oh, easy. It, yeah, <laughs> if only, if only that was the case, I think we would all be really happy. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like we're being sold this like Hollywood idea of what relationships are like. And the reality is that relationships have conflict. I don't care if you're secure like if both of you are secure in the relationship you will have conflict and you know that's not the point of a relationship the point isn't to never have conflict because actually you can grow so much uh, when you have conflict in a relationship the point is more about okay but there is conflict but how do we tackle it how do we come together how do we repair it and use it as a learning experience use it as something that helps us progress and advance our relationship yeah that's what I aim to do as well with my Instagram um, uh, profile just to raise awareness or like in in therapy we call it psychoeducation so creating education about relationships about trauma about attachment styles so people can um, have that awareness about themselves yeah I think that's amazing as well that you're doing that it should be easily accessible to people because then that way we can learn to love ourselves more and let let our relationships thrive but of course, it's so much easier written on paper or said mm-hmm. out than it is to actually make those changes. And it's funny that you say that about conflict because my long-term relationship, I, I acted very differently then because I was very much in an anxious attachment, a mm. fearful avoidant attachment. And I had those kind of behaviors where I think the one thing he used to get really frustrated with me about was when we were having a disagreement, instead of me sitting down and talking to him about it, I wouldn't be able to talk about it. I'd have to, I was like, I'm sorry, I I can't speak about this. I can't speak about this. Or I'd laugh or I'd use like behaviors that, that, you know, just, I wouldn't be able to sit down and have that conversation, but I'd be able to do that with friends. I just couldn't do it in a romantic relationship. And I never really understood why that was happening. Um, and then I thought I was alone in doing that until maybe I'd started doing research and I'd watched videos and I'd seen that other people struggled with the same thing. And I can imagine that when you're in clinic, maybe you see people who um, show similar behaviours. It makes sense that um, uh, that you would you'd be more at ease with your friends than with your partner because, you know, speaking to your partner about what's going on about your emotions takes a lot of courage. It's like so raw and so vulnerable that um sometimes you just don't want to do it because you know you don't feel safe you don't you might not feel safe that your partner is there to hold you and to understand you and be able to kind of contain that um sort of vulnerability and it's funny because um like with me being um dismissive avoidant like one of the traits means that i i have a tough time um expressing my own emotions and expressing my own feelings but yet I'm a therapist so how the hell do I do it and the reason why I do it is because as a therapist I don't have to be vulnerable it's my client that is it's my client that opens up and I have all the empathy in the world I have all the compassion all the love or all the nurturing in the world for the person in front of me but sometimes I struggle to apply the same principles to myself so that's one of one of the struggles um um, that I, I experienced as a dismissive avoidant. It is very refreshing to hear that as a therapist, you struggle with that too. Um, mm. That people will take comfort in that because 
it's almost like when you're in that sort of profession, people expect you to to be amazing at these things, you know, like practicing what you preach. But actually, it's not always as easy as that, is it? I don't really believe that there's like a really end point where you're like, this is it, you're now healed and everything is like airy fairy and everything is perfect, but it's like a work in progress. But yeah, what, what that also means to me is that through the work that I do on myself and understanding my triggers, understanding my responses, I it's kind of like I, I develop, um, you know, that um, it, kind of the idea of mindfulness practice of um, developing this kind of observer self where I can observe my yeah. behaviors, I can observe my thinking and understanding why they do it, but it still doesn't stop me from getting triggered. I am exactly the same and... I put it down to the fact that a lot of these behaviors are innate and yeah. they happen. They're so automatic that they happen before you even get a chance to, to challenge them. So you're, you know, you could sit there and you might not have heard from your partner for a couple of days. Mm -hmm. Instantly for me, the anxiety comes out. He doesn't like me. He doesn't want to be with me. What have I done wrong? When actually it could be something completely innocent. Something might have happened to him. You know, but our, our brains, depending on how they're hardwired, will go straight yeah. to that negative thought. Um, and I can agree with you with what you said. It's, it's like almost challenging those thoughts. So whenever now I, I notice mm -hmm. myself spiraling and overthinking, I will just take a step back. Where's the evidence? That's the first thing that comes into my head. Like, where is the evidence that I feel this way? I feel like that can be a really useful strategy because a lot of the time, I'm sure you could agree with as well, like we get in our own heads over things mm -hmm. and we can convince ourselves. We have these little scenarios that have happened in our heads, but they've not happened in real life. So you end up getting annoyed and upset about something that hasn't even happened. Um, and as a CBT therapist, I fully uh, I fully um, agree with what you just said, because, um, you know, we, we do really believe in the power of um, understanding our thoughts and, and trying to change them, trying to make them more um, kind of realistic and more accurate. Uh, and that's the thing, um, I know you read um, Attached, and even in the book, he was talking of, I know, Holy Bible, like, I love that book. Great book. Right. I've, got, I've yeah. got notes written all over it when I've been, like, like lying in bed rereading it, because the first time I read it was years ago, I couldn't remember anything that had happened, and I was rereading it, and I just, uh -huh. I don't know why, like, this time when I was reading it, everything was sticking out to me, and there was me with, like, a biro, because I keep my journal and pen next to my, like, bedside table, getting my right. pen. And I was like, oh my God, if anyone could see me right now, like sitting in my bed at 10 o'clock at night, reading, this, <laughs> making notes. But I just, I found it inspiring. It's an inspiring read because it makes so much sense. Anyone that's listening, read the book Attached by Amir Levine, Rachel Heller. It's excellent, excellent. And um, equally, I highly recommend it. Like if there's one book that you need to read on trying to, that will help you understand your relationships that, that much better, mm. is that book. Like, Everyone that um, recommended it too came back and were like, wow, that, that is amazing. And it really shifted my um, relationships. So yeah, um, I, I really recommend it. But um, in the chapter that was describing like the anxious um, attachment, one of the studies they were showing there was how um, people that have an anxious attachment styles, uh, attachment style are more, um, they're more uh, receptive to changes in people's emotions. So you might, you might be able to pick up much earlier than me when someone changes from you know from happiness to sadness let's say uh, much earlier but the trouble is that we want, 
people with anxious attachment usually tend to do it um, more inaccurately as well. So they tend to catastrophize, like you just mentioned, they and tend to catastrophize much easier and much quicker than other styles. So you might feel like, okay, my partner not, and like if I'm calling them and they, you know, decline the call, let's say, more likely to think like, well, they don't want to be with me, they don't want to deal with me, or like something's wrong with the relationship rather than they're in a bloody meeting that I just disturbed with my phone call, <laughs> you know? It's, it's, it's mad to think how our minds go there especially if we don't sit back and reflect on that and I think reflection is such an important thing for self um, growth anyway because in order to really understand ourselves we we need to have that reflection we need to we need to understand why we do the things that we do this is what I do with my clients when they when they come to therapy in the sessions. It's like, if it was just a thought, if it was just a thought that oh gosh they don't want to be with me or like something's happened, that will be okay. But it's not when we are in that situation when we have those thoughts. It's not just the thought; it's the emotions that come up with it, right? So I immediately get worried. I immediately get anxious. I immediately get um kind of overwhelmed by the emotions. And then based on the thoughts and based on the emotions, my behavior changes. Sometimes it does lead to, I mean, oftentimes, not just sometimes, it, it does lead to problems and it, it does create the conflict in the relationship because if my partner was just in a, in a meeting and I'm disturbing it by ringing them a hundred times, then they're not going to be very happy and I've acted on a thought that was inaccurate in the first place. So that's why, like you just said, reflect self-reflection is so important because it allows us to take a step back and think like, hold on a minute, okay, this is this is what I'm thinking in this situation, but what's the truth behind it? Are there other perspectives? Are there other ways of looking at the situation that I'm missing out on? Because if if I'm able to say, okay, well, they did tell me that I had a meeting at 2 p.m., maybe that's what's happening, then I don't get the anxiety, I don't get the, the worries, I don't even get the frustration or the anger. I can just allow myself to get on with my day rather than you know, doing that protest behavior um, go into the more specifics as well people with um, anxious attachment styles when they feel like the um, the bond in the relationship is or there's a gap in the relationship like an emotional gap or uh, a gap in the intimacy of the relationship um, they their threat system becomes activated so in terms of the fight or flight response or what happens in the nervous system uh, it, it becomes really activated and then what an anxious person uh, wants to do is to um, to create closeness, to, to rebuild that intimacy. And they do that by using what we call activating strategies. So things like seeking reassurance, um, trying anything to kind of get close to the partner, um, you know, like calling them. I can't think of any other examples right now, but yes, if I you can- I feel like making them, trying to make them jealous. That was yes. what I read that comes up. And I was like, oh God, do you know, I, I've done that before in the past, but like, you you do you do silly things and you you know at the end of it you're doing it just to get their attention but again it's do you really think deeply enough to why are you trying to get their attention why are you doing that like why can't you just be straight up with them and tell them how you're feeling rather yeah. than being those those games 
but it, it relates back to the points that we were making about self-reflection and about the importance of mindfulness because if i just automatically get the feelings and overwhelmed like you know when your threat system is activated the emotions go really high and it's really difficult in those moments to think clearly to think rationally we, we just have so much so much emotions going around and we end up doing um, behaviors that we later on regret or uh, the behaviors that later on um, kind of actually exaggerate the problem or create more conflict than um, than it was necessary. <laughs> and like, you know, trying to make someone jealous, it, like that defeats the purpose, doesn't it? Yeah, and it's weird because for a moment, it serves a purpose. Because if you have made them jealous, you're almost like, aha, I did mm-hmm. what I set out to do. Mm-hmm. But then you might end up having an argument because of what you've done to try and make them jealous. So then it all folds into this weird, vicious cycle. And like you said, it can exasperate the, the problem. And you might end up falling out or breaking up over something that may simply be resolved by having a conversation. Exactly. But but sometimes, it, you know, because we, um, and I just really want to emphasize this point, is that we get carried away so much by our emotions and what we feel in that moment and we act, we we react based on how we feel without actually taking ourselves, um, taking the time to actually think through our responses and what we actually want to do in that situation. So it's really helpful. I, I mean, um, if we're thinking about strategies and solutions on what we can, what we can do to change um, anxious um, attachment, it's really about understanding our emotions, really learning to reflect and understand what is it that's going on for me right now? You know, if I'm feeling really distressed, if I'm feeling really angry, having the capacity to reflect. So that would usually involve kind of journaling, doing mindfulness practice, doing breathing exercises to kind of regulate regulate your body and regulate your emotions. If we learn to, you know, be, uh, get to the point where we are an observer of our, uh, of our emotions, then we, we kind of you know don't even get into 50 percent or at least 50 percent of conflict in the relationship because we're able to just step back and be like hold on a minute this is just me this is my just my you know system becoming activated i'm on the fret so you know i can just sit with that i can just soothe myself in a moment i don't need to react i don't need to lash out i don't need to project what's going on onto my partner so what i do advocate and what i do work with on my clients is okay when your emotions are so intense or so distressing, how best can you self-soothe yourself in a moment? How best can you, you know, cope with them? How best can you help yourself to lower, you know, like if your emotions go from zero to 100, what can we do to bring them to 60%? What can we do to bring them to 50 to 70% rather than, you know, being so, so highly distressed? And then you can go and have that conversation and then you know you can think of strategies and ask for what you need and have assertive communication and speak about boundaries and everything but we need to learn to manage the emotions first before we do any of that and you know self-soothing usually involves using our five senses plus our breath to manage our emotions so it's using anything so going for a walk is ideal because you're out you can see things you can hear them you can touch you know you feel the air you feel how it feels to walk on the ground but there's things that you can do indoors as well so like lighting up a candle um rubbing some essential oils um taking a pep uh, a mint which you know has a strong taste even eating a bar of chocolate 
you know, it's using your um, sense of taste. One of my favorite things that I enjoy doing with my clients is we actually create a, an emergency coping box. Like some of my clients are really like artsy and creative and they, they really do enjoy it. Mm-hmm. But you can literally take just like an old shoe box for emergency, putting things in there that will help yourself soothe. So, you know, um, some, uh, some of the things that I put is even like mindfulness coloring sheets for like a, a book and like having um, the coloring pens in there as well but like a puzzle or um, photographs of happy times or like something that um, re- like something you can read like affirmations uh, reminders to yourself um, I even get them to put like a scented candle in there um, essential oils any plate of sensory things like you want to make it as easy and as accessible for you so that when you're in those moments when you're feeling overwhelmed you don't have to think like okay well what am I supposed to do now or like you know you're so overwhelmed you can't even think about what you, yeah. what you can do yeah. you just know that the box is there and like you can go to it and like um use it so yeah I hope this was a helpful because it is like one of my favorite things to do it's a brilliant strategy because you can get very overwhelmed when your emotions overcome you sometimes you know you think with emotion rather than logic so in that moment you can feel so like it's almost like a bit airy you're like oh I don't know what to do I don't know what to think and if you've got something there that you know is going to be full of those coping mechanisms you know box it could be like you said it could be like your coloring book and pens it could be your journal it could be it could be even something like you know like just calling a friend and going for a walk during that time as well like there's so many different ways and I think that's the beauty of self-soothing is that everyone has got different ways that will suit them and what works for one might not necessarily work for another but if you've not tried any self-soothing strategies before try different ones and see what works well for you and see what what doesn't work well for you you know yeah exactly and like um you know like you just said it's not like oh everyone has to have a scented candle or a coloring book and pen you know what I will say the candles I have got so many candles in my flat because (laughs) they're calming like instantly in in the evening or first thing in the morning I will light a candle because it just gives me an instant sense of calm and that's something that works for me but again that's built up over time it's not like I woke up one day and said do you know what when I'm feeling stressed and a guy's really pissed me off I'm gonna light a candle and everything's gonna be better (laughs) if only it was that simple I know I know like I was just laughing because yeah imagine if our brain worked like that but it doesn't you know we do really need to find ways to help ourselves and like uh, like I just said to make it so easy for us so we don't really need to kind of think and it's about also trial and error like working out what works for you and and you know if you google things like self-soothing um you'll find tons of ideas online so and also like on social media there's loads of therapists that um do do um write about this and post content about what um, one of my favorite i'll do a shout out to peaceful barb if you don't follow peaceful barb ah her posts are excellent she gives some great strategies Uh, really yeah she's she's really really good she's really i'll give her a follow i don't think i follow her if we're thinking uh, on the um other attachment style so so like I just said we're anxious um, attachment we want closeness so we bring in this activating strategies that the purpose is to connect us with a partner and oftentimes if we have a if we have a secure partner or a partner that does understand that that can be emotionally available for us once that uncertainty um, 
and uh, so once they settle the uncertainty that we experience, we're able to calm down and our nervous system, you know, relaxes and we're not, we're not on that kind of threat anymore. We're not on fight or flight. Mm. But <laughs> what often happens is that anxious people are attracted to dismissive avoidance. And okay. by the nature. <laughs> oh, yes, yes, yes. 100%. <laughs> I know, and and that doesn't mean. I mean, you know, it's a, a little bit like a taboo that it's if like you're anxious, me it feels like a match made in hell. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it, there is truth to it that the relationship can be really volatile, can be really toxic, and mm-hmm. it can be really riddled with conflict, and it can also be um, quite short term. Um, but but you know, if if two partners have, you know, like. I argue that my partner, and if he listens to this podcast, I'm sure he's not going to be happy for me to say this, but um, he he has a bit of an anxious attachment. And like I said, I have an avoidant attachment, but yet we have been together seven years and we just got engaged like two months ago. So, oh, you know, uh, you can, thank you, thank you. Uh, you can make it work as long as, you know, there is that self-reflection and that understanding and the ability to repair after conflict, the ability to communicate like um so going back to dismissive avoidance what they usually want is they want their independence and they want their self-reliance so whereas the anxious wants closeness the the dismissive avoidant wants their space so instead of um instead of using um activating strategies they use what we call deactivating strategies so strategies that intend to push away the partner and give themselves space yeah that's no that is it makes a lot of sense it makes a lot of sense what would be some of those deactivating strategies then? So it, it can vary from like literally, you know, walking away, not making yourself available, not responding to messages, communication, like just being on your own to things like, you know, sometimes people, um, and this is where there's a bit of weakness in this attachment style is that we're looking for flaws in our partners. So like we're really picking on the small details and thinking like, well, they can't be my ideal love because, you know, they don't put their shoes in the right place when they come home. Like, you know, like the really small things. We're like picking on the, you know, like the nitty gritty. Um, or like we idealize past relationships thinking like, oh no, but my soulmate was like that relationship I had when I was 15 and I didn't have a clue about love or about relationships. Or, you know, um, thinking like, you know, like any sort of behavior that we do them um and and it doesn't have to be like physical behavior that we like actively doing it could be something that we're doing in our mind in a way like the way we think um that intends to like maintain our independence and kind of self-reliance god that is fascinating isn't it it is fascinating do you think like you do this you you i'm guessing like you crave love don't you but you do everything to pull yourself away from getting that intimacy which makes it then even harder yeah and you know uh one of the things that it is a bit um, I, I don't know if it's necessarily hurtful but like I feel a certain kind of way um uh, uh, uh regarding um, dismissive avoidance because we are often being you know portrayed as being like cold and mean and distant and like it's like one of those kind of myths and like taboos like um that goes around and like 
that that's not it at all because underneath it like you said you know we we all want connection like humans have been born to to one connection that's what gives our best chances of survival that's how humanity has you know um, grown and like evolved for like thousands of years sure we want uh we want connection but because of trauma because of what we have endured our brain gets rewired so instead of seeking connection we seek protection and one of the ways we seek protection is by being independent by you know feeling like i only have myself to rely on if i if i allow myself to rely on you and then you leave me and abandon me then what's going to happen to me so i might as well just rely on myself and learn to cope on my uh, by myself I can completely empathize with that because um, like you said at the beginning of the podcast that when mm-hmm. we our attachment quizzes online or whatever that actually mm-hmm. probably are a mixture of all four mm-hmm. unless we're the lucky ones that are like 100% securely attached there's a small percentage of me that's dismissive and I completely agree with what you've said about being independent I'm a very independent person and I do get in that thought process sometimes of being like well I am happy on my own and mm-hmm. I will pull myself away if I'm not getting 100% of what I want or what I need. Yeah, because um, in a way, like our brain is kind of constantly scanning for threats. And if you're noticing like, you know, someone's not is giving you the vibes that they're really not into you or they're not as emotionally available as, as you'd want, mm-hmm. it's like your brain is like, well, there's no need to pursue this any further because they're not going to meet your needs. So pull yeah. away. So again, self-protection rather than connection, right? Self-protection. And I actually, again, going back to like how this can be a strength, I think that is a strength because you might say, oh, people will be like, oh, but no, you know, don't want to be on your own. But no, I think you have to be able to protect yourself because otherwise it, there's that very fine line, isn't there, between like self-sacrifice and self-neglect. and sometimes you might think oh you know I'm self-sacrificing for this but actually you're neglecting your needs and if someone isn't giving you what you want or what you need and you know that actually it's been a while and you're not getting what you need are you really going to want to pursue that for longer to find out to then potentially hurt yourself more at the end of it Mm. and um I really like what you said about you know looking at strengths in the attachment styles because you know if you were to ask me you know would I want any of the things that have happened to me to be removed? If if they were removed and I wasn't a person I am today, I would choose to still experience all this stuff if I know that I'll end up in the same position. Because, of course, there's the suffering that I still experience nowadays, but there's also so much beauty. And, like, you know, my ability to be self-reliant or independent has allowed me to take risks, you know, like... I'm 30 now and like I, I run two, two businesses full time like I work for myself I decide my own hours like it was mainly because uh, I had the courage and the bravery that I can rely on myself and whatever happens happens like I'll I'll make it work so there there is you know strengths um in all the attachment styles as well as suffering and kind of downside although you know it's easy I mean not not that it's easy for us to see that but it's probably because we have put in a lot of work and we are healing from um, what has happened that we're able to see the strength because when you are in it when you're still experiencing so much suffering and so much distress it's it's really hard to feel like well where's the beauty in this you know like you only see the pain yeah but there is beauty in it 
Yeah, and we are almost like the lucky ones, aren't we, that we've worked, like me and you started working in CBT together, what, 10 years ago? Oh my God, probably even long, uh, longer than that. Yeah, no, yeah, yeah, about 11 or 12 years ago, actually. It was a very long time ago, but I, I do feel like we're lucky in that sense that we've had that deeper understanding in the realms of psychology and we, we can do that. And that's almost why sometimes I, I love to be that person that can help my friends and why I wanted to move this into a podcast to help the wider community of people that haven't got a clue how to help themselves in situations like this. Um, like say, for example, like people have done the quiz and mm-hmm. they're either single or they're in a relationship how could they adapt their learnings from that and how can they um, almost self-soothe being single versus in a relationship? Are there any differences between the two? Oh, so that's a really good question. Um, but I would say that you don't have to be single to work on your, um, you know, healing your trauma or working on um, your attachment um, wounds because actually one of the best places to heal is in a relationship, but it's in a relationship that isn't toxic. It's in a relationship that is safe, that you can be vulnerable with your partner, that you have a partner that is emotionally available to you, that mm-hmm. you can feel like, you know, I can I can talk to him or, or talk to them about my issues and they will understand. Because, you know, um, it, it kind of goes back to like the origins of attachment theory where, um, you know, it started out with, uh, babies and mothers right that's how they came up with the theory and like doing the strange situation experiments where the baby knowing that there's a mother there that they can turn to they were it was safe for them to explore the world it was safe for them to get independence and and try things and um take risks knowing that there's safety that, that the mother is there that if anything happens i can go and comfort I can get comfort from my mom. So it's the same principle in the relationship. So as a dismissive avoidant, like in my journey, like I can go out there, I can do my own thing, explore things. But when (laughs) shit hits the fan, I know I have my partner that I can come back to. I know that there is still safety there and there's vulnerability and he will be able to kind of hold uh, my emotions and hold my pain and my, my vulnerability. So I don't I I don't think that you know if anyone's listening to this and things like oh gosh I'm so flawed I have so much to work on like I'm such a bad person or I'm so traumatized or like there's unhealed parts of me you do not have to break up with your partner to work on those a lot of healing can happen in the relationship as well that is very very comforting to hear because I think a lot of people think that that's exactly what they'd have to do. They need to be on their own and be completely self-sufficient before getting in a relationship. But I'm sure that you can agree, but you don't need to be 100% self-sufficient to be in a relationship. Of course, that being self-sufficient is important, but you're not gonna be 100% perfect. Like what, what is perfect? The ideal that's perfect is, is there is, is, is silly in my eyes because it doesn't exist. And I think you can do as much healing on your own as, as you can. But then when you meet that person, like you said, that this is someone that you can really learn to love and someone that is going to give you that, that those needs, um, like the secure attachment that you need and be able to respond to you well and communicate well, be honest with you and you can trust them. I think those components of a relationship are what help you to grow as a person anyway. 
And if you're experiencing one of those insecure attachments, being with someone who brings out the best in you, I think is only going to make you thrive more as a person. Exactly. But it can also be incredibly, um, incredibly difficult or challenging because, you know, if you've got things on your, about yourself that you still need to work on, you know, no doubt about it, your relationship will bring them up to the surface. And it can be really distressing because you're thinking like, what the hell is going on? Like, sometimes people end up thinking like, I'm so flawed or like, there's so much to me. Like, I, 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 I don't deserve a relationship. I don't deserve this love. So you end up then self-sabotaging, trying to push the love away, like, or entering behaviors that instead of resolving the conflict, actually create more conflict. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, we need to be careful with that as well yeah for sure I, I I did a lot of that in one of my relationships and I look back now because yeah. hindsight is a great thing Twenty, right <laughs> if hindsight was there when I needed it probably wouldn't save a couple of my relationships <laughs> but it so thanks very much um but in in that in those moments and it's funny because I look back now and I go oh my god like why didn't I just act in a different way and why didn't I do that but actually because I had all those insecurities and they were being brought to the surface. And that's like you said, people need to understand if you are, if you have got an insecure attachment and you've got stuff to work on within yourself, it will come out in a relationship. Like no matter what point it is, it will come out because you think, and I I've done this personally where I think I can keep it hidden deep within me, but mm-hmm. the, the closer that you go to someone and the longer that the relationship goes on for, eventually those those flaws, if you can call them flaws, with, within yourself will start to appear over time. And, you know, this is where the conflict can be caused. But if people are listening to this now and this is something that you can resonate with, you know, try and really focus on what you can do in the current moment to, to self-soothe and to really help yourself to feel better, but not only feel better in that moment, but to keep working on that over time, every time one of those negative emotions or thoughts appears so that you can continue working through that. Exactly. And, you know, um, this also ties into kind of being single because one of the downsides of kind of working on your attachment and being single is that you can't really um, test out how how much you've healed in a relationship, right? Because you're single. So in my previous episode... I was kind of waffling on and I um I basically compared it to market research. <laughs> I, I, I don't know where the term market research came from, but that's how it felt for me because I thought, do you know what? When I've gone on all these like, different dates, I was like, this is a great opportunity for me to test my different behaviors. So if I feel an anxious part of me coming out or one of those protest behaviors come out of going, Gem, you're doing it again, stop doing it and and doing it like that. But I, I completely get what you're saying as well, is that if that relationship has not lasted long enough, you've not given it enough time to be able to carry on doing that with that person. If someone has got an insecure attachment style, mm-hmm. is there a sort of average time that it can take for someone to heal? Or mm-hmm. is it just really dependent on the person and their relationship you know that's the million dollar question that everyone asks me and also like even on my instagram page like i might post like some you know psychoeducation people are like oh but how do i do it now i'm like 
uh, this takes time. I can't tell you in like five seconds, like what, what you meant to do or like how to help yourself. But it's the same, like, like we just said, you know, it, it really depends on your circumstances because, you know, if you're single versus in a relationship, you know, it, it may take different lengths of time. But I wouldn't say like, you know, it takes, you know, like six weeks or, you know, if you ever see like, anyone trying to sell you a book or a course or a program that's like yeah six weeks. If, I've, if I've been doing these behaviors for 29 years of my life it's not going to go away in six weeks exactly and that's such a good point right like and and that's something that we often forget because um, you know we didn't develop our attachment style overnight so why do we expect it that it will go away um um, so quickly so the the times really vary you know some some people might just be able to read a book like uh, you know read attached and be like oh wow this is life-changing and like be able to self-help themselves you know put them put into practice like ideas and like make a quick change whereas some people do need uh, more intense or more uh, more intense help or more support such as you know going to therapy and some people come to therapy for like a couple of months some people come and you know spend a year two years some people spend spend a whole lifetime in therapy so it really really varies it's good to know that because i think sometimes we can want to put a time frame on fi- i don't know if it's like fixing ourselves fixing ourselves is not like a great term to use but improving ourselves probably like a better way to phrase but, but- uh, and uh, I mean, it makes sense because humans by nature want certainty, right? So uh, you, we want to apply something so we know that we end up uh, at a certain outcome or we, we, we reach a certain point. But the, the whole point is that we are, you know, like I said, I'm not recovered, I'm recovering. So we are always a work in, pro, um, in progress. There's always so much more that we can build on, that we can learn, that we can evolve because, you know, how boring would life be? If there was nothing that we needed to work on, if we felt like we are God's gifts to humanity and that we are perfect, you know, it would be super boring. So that's what makes it excitement, um, exciting, and that's that's what makes it fun. That we we have things that we can uh, work on, grow, learn. Yeah, definitely, and I, I think we're so lucky to be able to have like loved ones around us and people that we can rely on as well. Especially going back to what you said about. Um, healing and being in a relationship is Mm -hmm. actually probably a bit easier than when you're single um it makes a lot of sense doesn't it because like I said with my example all my feelings Mm -hmm. are hidden deep within until I start seeing someone and then they come to the surface you almost need to be with someone to be able to to challenge those thoughts and feelings so if we don't have that I guess that's when we can almost be reliant on friends to maybe work through some stuff that we know might potentially come up in the future when we do meet someone that we like yeah and you know um our attachment style it's not that it it doesn't only only just show up in romantic relationships we can it shows up in our friendships it shows up at work shows up in um, relationships with our family but the interaction like different people will bring out different parts of ourselves so we some people we might be more anxious than with others we might be more avoidant or like a combination of both and some people we might even be like we might surprise ourselves and be like super secure and then we're thinking like who the hell am i like who's this really confident person that's like happy-go-lucky yeah i can agree with that because i've done 
I've, I've had friends throughout the years and the friends that I've had throughout the years have varied. Some of them have made me want to feel secure and some of them have made me want to run for the hills. But I'm now at that age where I'm quite happy to cut off people who are not making me feel secure or bringing out the best in me. So that's another thing that I think listeners need to take away from this is surrounding yourself with people who bring out the best in you, not only in relationships, but in friendships too. And you know, that that's one of, sometimes it can be one of the toughest or one of the biggest downsides of when we embark on our healing journey. Because when we work on ourselves, when we understand our needs, our wants, and we actively try and meet our needs, the relationships around us change. And sometimes we decide actually this friend, even though we have history and we've known each other for you know decades, they're actually not that good to me, not not that good to, for my well-being, for my mental health. So we do need to cut them off, and you know the dynamics change, and that's okay. We just have to prioritize what's good for for ourselves and our, our well-being. Yeah, that, and it's a sad truth, and it's it's a sad reality that these things happen. You know, sometimes we do outgrow our friends, even if we've been friends with them for many years. It just means that sometimes you go down a different path and you know you don't hate them or dislike them but you have to do what's best for you and we have to protect our mental health our mental health is so important you know the past couple of years especially with everyone going through everything that happened with with lockdown that had a huge impact on people's mental health so not only do we have to deal with the um, repercussions of that we also have to deal with friendships, relationships, workplaces, working from home, being on our own more, all of that is going to have a massive impact on us anyway. So that's why when it comes to having those romantic relationships, it is making sure that that person is going to make you feel good about yourself because otherwise, what is the point? Exactly. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. What is the point? I think that is that is quite a nice way to end the podcast but also before we finish we did mm -hmm. get a couple of questions so I've got a couple of questions oh. on the Q&A okay. box for you so the first one is I seem to self-sabotage every time I date someone new because of my anxious attachment style do you have any tips for me to manage this so what I would um, suggest to this person is first of all either educate themselves as much as they can about um, anxious attachment style so you know the activating strategies but also the protest behaviors like we we're talking earlier what they might look like and it's really important for them to so education key but also learning to kind of journal so understanding for them to be able to reflect you know like when i am feeling this way this is how i react and when i react this way these are the consequences this are the price that i pay which you know then kind of keeps me stuck in a loop so thinking about okay if this is what i do what can i do to change it? how can i change the cycle effectively um it's easy said and done you know it takes a lot of work and people usually do this in therapy but you can do it on yourself um or by yourself depending on kind of the the, the extent of the issue but education is really key understanding not only um, that you sabotage and what you do when you sabotage but what's the underlying um needs that you're trying to meet for your self-sabotaging behavior because any behavior we do regardless of um even if they might seem like unhelpful or toxic behavior 
we do it because it meets a function for us. So not understanding what only what we do, but also why why we do what we do. Sure, that's a great answer. And I think as well, people have to give themselves credit. So the person who sent this question in, give yourself credit for even being able to recognize that you're self-sabotaging yeah. because sometimes people self-sabotage, they don't even realize that they're doing it till it's too late. Exactly. Um, and that's such a fair point to make. And I've got a second question, which is, how can I learn to trust someone when mm. every partner that I've had has lied to me? Oh, wow. So what I would first ask, uh, what the first question is, why is it that every partner lied to you? So is there something there about the sort of people that you get attracted to? Is there something there about the sort of people, the partners that you pursue? Because there might be a chance that uh, based on what happened to you, based on your traumas, you might be pursuing people that are um, quite toxic, that can be quite lying, quite manipulative. So, of course, you wouldn't trust them. Like, why the hell would you want to trust someone that lies to you? So, <laughs> yeah. So, first of all, um, so working on that, I'm thinking, okay, what? why do I do this? And you mentioned the, um, earlier in the podcast that sometimes your um, attachment system gets overly activated uh, when we are around people like this that are emotionally unavailable. And we think that, gosh, this is grand love and passion. And, you know, this is uh, my soulmate. It's our central nervous system doing overtime. <laughs> exactly. And that's, uh, um, chances are that this is what um, may be happening to this person where um, they they have this like, high sexual chemistry to these people that are lying and manipulative and you get attracted to them and of course they do break your trust and of course you're gonna end up not trusting them mm. but it's about um yeah understanding why you get into those relationships and trying to get into a relationship with someone that's kind of more secure um and and working on your ability to trust and i often say you know people assume that uh, trust is black and white like I either trust or I don't but the, the trust isn't black and white trust is kind of relative so it's like this shades of gray in between so it's like I trust you a little bit and I can build onto the trust mm -hmm. and the way we usually do it is by opening up to people so if I start opening up and becoming vulnerable with you and I can see that I can test it <laughs> you know like again the market research gem <laughs> <laughs> If I open up a little bit and, um, you know, you're able to hold me, you're able to be there for me, I can learn that I can trust you a little bit. So next time I try and um, trust you with a little bit more and so on, like we build it over time. It's not like I have to trust you 100% today or there's no trust or this won't work. It's something that you build over time. And um, this is a great point to kind of work on uh, on your own as well. But what I would really advise this person is to to try and get out of, these patterns of like toxic relationships with people that are um, lying and deceiving and manipulative. Mm. When we surround ourselves with people who tend to lie to us, it is true they probably do have a very similar type of pattern of that kind of person. And the one thing that always sticks in my mind is that I will always trust someone until they give me a reason not to trust them. And I think we, we should try to trust everyone because don't get me wrong you never know what someone's like until they lie to you or something happens but I think if you go in and it's don't get me wrong it's, as well it's very difficult 
if you've been used to people lying to you and if that this person has been dating people that have been lying to them they're gonna base that judgment on that next person purely because of the experiences that they've been through so it's completely understandable why they would feel that way yeah uh, and and this is a great mindset or like um sort of set of beliefs to, to hold about people and, and relationships but i do acknowledge that for certain people especially people that experienced trauma earlier on in their life like childhood trauma that was of a physical or sexual nature um is that ability to trust others is is, is often lacking so it, it it's really um difficult so if you are in that, if you're someone listening, and if this is something that has happened to you, um, I would advise you to try and seek professional help um, to kind of work for those issues. And just to wrap things up, really, I'd say then, whoever's listening, and if you've been maybe affected by the things that we've spoken about today, or if some of this stuff has really resonated with you, you know, you can get in touch with me or Joanna on our Instagram pages, but also scale it back and have some compassion for yourself because we are way too tough on ourselves way too tough on ourselves and we expect to be this idealized person that we're doing everything at once and we're having these amazing relationships we're putting everything on a pedestal it's just not how relationships work you know we're we're meant to go through these experiences in life in ourselves and in these relationships and the more that we experience this, the more we do learn about ourselves. And that's when, in, in my opinion, is that you will find someone who is the right person by going through all those experiences where you found people that were wrong for you. Yeah. And I would also say, based on the point that you are saying earlier about um, not only just be compassionate towards yourself, but go back to that um, coping toolbox that we are talking about earlier to self-soothe if, if you're being affected by um any of the things that you've listened to um on this podcast for sure well Joanna, thank you so much for joining me on this episode i've really really enjoyed our conversation and i hope that the listeners will take many points away from this not only the fact that being single means that you get to do market research <laughs> But yeah, I um I hope that the listeners find this this useful because I will definitely be listening to this back to listen to your points and I'm gonna make myself an emotional toolbox because I think that will come in very useful in the future. Well, thank you so much for having me and I, I do hope it was helpful. Um but yeah, if um I'm sure that you'll put our Instagram handles in the podcast notes. So if anyone wants to get in touch or wants to access my content, um Gemma will post it. I will indeed. Over and out. <laughs> and if you've enjoyed today's episode, please do like, share and subscribe to the Dating Diaries podcast. It's now available to stream on Spotify, Apple and Google. Google.